Well, it is good to be back with you in worship after a wonderful week in Laferia, Texas with our South Texas mission team. And it's also wonderful to have our youth and their fearless leaders back with us after they returned from their mission trip to Colorado Springs around midnight last night. So this row right here, way to go. (laughs) We are so excited to share with you about all the ways that we have seen and experienced God during our times of mission together. One of the things you'll hear about from our time in South Texas is a prayer vigil that several of us participated in right outside one of the immigration detention centers last week. We were right outside of an old Walmart where over a thousand children are being kept. And we prayed for these children and their families and the many who have been separated over the past couple of months. And my heart just continues to break over what is happening at the border, especially after having been right there over this past week. Our choir is preparing to sing a song based on the words of Psalm 46, God is our refuge. And I thought these words were so timely for us to reflect upon as we begin worship together today. And so I will read these words And I ask that these words might be our prayer as we begin worship today. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen.
gathered here this morning to worship you, we recognize that we are all carrying inside our hearts a muddle of concerns and joys. We do not leave these things by the door this morning, but we let them inhabit our praise. We confess that you are a God that breaks into our lives as they are, and you transform them. You heal pain, you bring abundance and scarcity, God, teach us how to give of what we have and how to receive when we are in need. And this morning, use the testimony of this church to transform us into a community that believes in your promise of provision, trusts in your abundance, and participates in your work in the world. In Christ's name, amen.
I invite all the children to come down for the children's message. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Good? All right. Now, I know this is an easy question, but what have I got today with me? A pillow. Good job. Now, there are lots of fun things we could do with this pillow. If I had one for each of you, we could have a big, fun pillow fight. And if we had that many, we could build a really cool pillow fort. Uh, but what do we usually use a pillow for? Yeah. To sleep. That's right. Um, but what would happen if I didn't sleep for a long, long time? If I just stayed up night and day and night and day, what would happen? I would die? Long enough, maybe. I don't know. But I would be really tired, right? Yeah? I would be sleepy. I'd be cranky, too, probably. And I wouldn't be nice to people. And I wouldn't be able to do a lot of things, like ride a bike or read a book or help cook something in the kitchen. I'd be too tired, right? Yeah. And when we don't sleep for very long, we also get clumsy. Has that happened to y'all? Yeah? And we we drop things and we run into things. And if you're a grown-up, it's really dangerous to drive if you haven't slept for a while. See, God designed our bodies for rest. And when we take care of our bodies, that's a way of worshiping God. So we're worshiping God when we sleep. I think that's cool. What do you think? Yeah? Now, I know it's summer. But how many of you here would like to go to school seven days a week, every week, all year? No? For half the year, maybe? <laughs> to get out of school earlier? Well, you're thinking. Well, I bet no one out here would like to go to school or go to work seven days a week, every week, all year long. See, God gave us a pattern of life that includes work and play and rest. And rest is a gift that God gives to us. So, um, Pastor Mary Alice is going to talk more about this in the service, so I want you to listen really close and remember that a, an important part of being human and being healthy and part of worshiping God is rest and sleep. Okay? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us times of rest. Help us to understand how important it is and to be thankful for all of your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. to show your abundant love. 
A reading from the book of Exodus. The whole, the whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as, as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who had gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not become foul, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, and they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he gives you food for two days. Each of you stay where you are, do not leave your place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations in order that they may see the food with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. A reading from the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley dark as death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, 
my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. of all of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I am still processing all that I experienced on Calvary's mission trip to Laferia, Texas this past week. But one of the questions I have found myself asking is this. How much and to what extent do I really trust God? How much and to what extent do I really trust God? All week long, I have been inspired, challenged, and humbled by the faith of Pastor Melba Zapata and the beautiful community at New Wine Church and the myriad of ways in which they wholeheartedly trust in God to provide for their needs, big and small. For instance, their church building is an old RV warehouse, prime property right along the interstate, and they trust in God month after month to provide the money to pay their rent. And as Malba says, they never even get nervous about it because every month the money always shows up. They didn't know if they were going to be able to do VBS for children in their church or community this year, and yet they trusted God to provide a way. And Calvary was able to partner with them and to lead out in VBS this week with them. 
And then local organizations came along and donated prizes for the kids throughout the week. And various businesses from the community, like Pizza Hut and Golden Corral, even showed up with snacks for the kids each night. Flooding in the area prevented the church from getting the word out about VBS as early as they would have liked. Even while we were there in Laferia, several of the main roads were still closed because of the flooding. And yet, despite the circumstances, Melba and the church trusted that God would send the children who needed to be there. And God brought children to VBS anyway. One little girl named Olivia brought 10 different friends with her throughout the week none of whom had been to church before. New Wine didn't have a working kitchen to be able to fix meals for their church and community. Their kitchen consisted of a plastic sink, a folding table, and a microwave. And they began to pray and to trust God to provide for that need too. Well, God brought the dream team in David Norris and Glenn Guthrie, who did a complete fixer-upper on that kitchen And Chip and Jojo don't even begin to hold a candle to the two of them. (laughs) By the end of the week, a refrigerator even showed up unexpectedly one night after VBS that had been donated by CBF. Melba was actually called as the pastor of New Wine just back in January, but she hasn't had the opportunity to go to seminary. She was getting ready to leave for college several years ago when her father became ill and she stayed home to support her family. And she has been there ever since, continuing to care for her aging parents and grandparents and even other children in their family. She has taken some certificate of ministry classes through a local satellite school, but she's actually not allowed to take the pastoral ministry classes because she is a woman. We are working with her on exploring other educational opportunities and scholarship possibilities, which she is so excited about. And yet, even without much support in her area, even without formal training or education, she continues to wholeheartedly trust in God to lead her forward as a pastor with the most abundant childlike faith I have seen or experienced in such a long time. So many others would look at this church and would see scarcity, not enough, not enough resources, not enough people. Many churches would have closed their doors at this point if they didn't have the funds to pay next month's rent. I think we probably would have. And yet this beautiful faithful congregation continues to trust in God to provide day by day by day. And what's even more beautiful to me is that they continue to give day by day by day. Melba was actually meeting this week with local nonprofits and immigration groups to see how they as a church might minister to some of the immigrant children and families who are coming to live in Laferia. And her hope is that they can even adopt a family to support and to come alongside as a congregation. And we've already started having conversations with Melba and her church about when they might come to visit us in Waco to partner with us in mission here at Calvary. As we were debriefing on our drive home on Friday, David Norris said this, their faith in God's vision is what in human eyes looks like extreme scarcity. Their faith was almost unreal. The Bible talks about needing to have childlike faith, and we saw that on full display this week. And over the course of this week, I have been so convicted that when I think about my leadership as pastor, and when I think about our life of faith together at Calvary, I don't know that I or that we trust in God in this same childlike way. I think I and we do a really good job of trusting in our abilities, our resources, our talents, our incredible people, our education, our training, our diversity of backgrounds and experiences. 
And it's true that all of these are gifts God has given us, gifts to be used and spent and given away in every way imaginable for the kingdom. And yet I have found myself asking over and over again this week, how much and to what extent do I really trust God? How much do we trust the gifts that God has given us instead of the giver of every good gift? I think this is the question that Moses and the Israelites are forced to ask themselves in the wilderness in today's text in Exodus 16. It has been 45 days since God parted the waters of the Red Sea and delivered the Israelites from slavery in the land of Egypt. And the Israelites begin to complain against Moses in the wilderness. They say, if only we had just died back in Egypt, at least there we had food to eat. Have you brought us here into the wilderness to kill us? When all of a sudden the Lord says to Moses, I am going to provide what you need. And God commands quails to cover their camp in the evenings and a flaky layer of bread called manna to appear over the ground each morning. And there is more than enough for what the Israelites need each and every day. There is never a shortage, but always an abundance. But like we tend to do, they begin placing their trust in the gift instead of the giver. And they begin to want more and more of this gift. One day's portion is not enough. And so they begin to store up and hoard up more and more so that they will never run out. Except that when they do this, the next morning they wake up to find that all of that leftover food has spoiled and gone sour. As Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, when they try to bank it, to invest it, it turns sour and rotted because you cannot store up God's generosity. It's a wonder, he says. It's a miracle. It's an embarrassment. It's irrational. But God's abundance transcends the market economy. And so in response to all this, Moses has an idea. But it's not really his idea. It's God's idea, as it has been from the very beginning. And in response to all of their storing and hoarding up of the manna, Moses calls everyone to take a break, to have Sabbath. They are allowed to gather up two days' worth of manna on the sixth day, this time trusting that it won't go bad and that God will provide enough food for them to eat the next day as well, allowing them to rest on the seventh day. You know, I think we sometimes forget that practicing Sabbath it's one of the Ten Commandments. It's right up there with do not kill and do not steal. And yet most of us tend to structure our lives as if Sabbath is an optional or as needed type of practice. The idea of setting aside time and space to rest, to stop what we're doing, to quit working, to be unproductive, is completely counterintuitive to the way most of us live our lives. Which causes me to return to my original question, how much and to what extent do we really trust God? Because when you and I don't stop, when we keep pushing through, keep checking emails, keep doing more, keep burning the midnight oil, are we trusting in God to provide for our needs? Or are we trusting in ourselves? and our own abilities and gifts and resources. I love how Wayne Muller says it in his book, Sabbath. He says, all life requires a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep, like Sarah talked about. There's a rhythm in the way that day dissolves into night and night into morning. There is a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm, a deep eternal conversation between land and sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptively rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between inhale and exhale. And I'm not sure when or how or where it first happened, 
But somewhere along the way in our relentless busyness of modern life, we have lost this rhythm. We have run ourselves ragged as if the rules that govern the sun to set, the leaves to fall, lungs to exhale, and notes to play simply don't apply to us. Those are optional or as needed for us. Muller goes on to say, our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest, that doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, to meet these ever-growing expectations, we do not rest. And because we do not rest, we lose our way. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. Poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things only come through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we never truly rest. And I can't help but wonder if our lack of rest also shows a lack of trust that God will provide all that we need. And I can't preach this sermon and pretend like this is something I do really well. (laughs) You all know me better than that. I mean, I am standing before you today completely exhausted. (laughs) And more often than not, I put work before rest. And while I love the work that I get to do as pastor, the reality is that it's never finished. I never finish a day thinking all the ministry is done and everything is checked off the list for today. That's not the nature of my job, but it's also not the nature of any of our jobs, is it? It's not the nature of being a parent, or a family member, or a spouse, or a good friend, or an engaged citizen either. Nearly every person I have talked to at church this morning has told me that they are tired. We are writing books, returning from mission trips, some of us at midnight last night. We are engaged in important advocacy work. We are volunteering in our community. We are teaching summer school and taking summer school classes. We are working with children and the list goes on and on and on. And I'm especially mindful that we as Calvary are coming off of a month full of mission and ministry together in this place. And as great and as profound and life-giving as all of this work has been, friends, we need to rest now. Because the person who doesn't rest in Scripture isn't Moses. It isn't the Israelites. It certainly isn't Jesus, who we know often went to a quiet place to rest and to pray, even when he was surrounded by great need like we see in the Gospels. Now, the person in Scripture who worked himself and his people to death was Pharaoh. There is no record in Scripture that Pharaoh ever took a day off. He always kept pushing people harder because he feared that there was never going to be enough. And this is the relentless life that the Israelites are accustomed to. So when they are thrust into the wilderness, they are forced to ask themselves the question, are they going to trust in the skills and strength that they developed in slavery? Or when everything else has been slipped away from them, are they going to trust in God to provide for their needs? Author Henry Nowen came to a point where he was forced to answer this question as well. Nowen, who you may know from the MAB sermon bingo board. Um, (laughs) I know y'all are out there checking him off. Nowen was a brilliant priest. He wrote 39 books, which are reported to have sold over 7 million copies worldwide and have been published in more than 30 languages. He has been a professor at Harvard and Yale, and he lectured all over the world, and yet along the way, He felt that something was missing. He was tired. He was empty. And in the midst of his prayers during this season of his life, he felt God answering with these words. He felt God saying, go and live among the poor in spirit, and they will heal you. And so Nowen went from Harvard University to a small community of adults with intellectual disabilities called Lark, and he became their priest. 
He writes, the first thing that struck with me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking and disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with the many useful things I had done until then. Since nobody could read my books, my books did not impress anyone. And since most of them didn't go to school, my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard did not provide a significant introduction. Not being able to use any of the skills that had proved so practical in my past was a real source of anxiety. I was suddenly faced with my naked self, open for affirmation and rejection, hugs and punches, smiles and tears, all dependent simply on how I was perceived at the moment. In a way, it seemed as though I was starting my life all over again. Relationships, connections, and my reputation could no longer be counted on. The experience was and is in many ways is still the most important experience of my life because it forced me to rediscover my true identity. These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and to give love regardless of any accomplishments. Friends, I think some of the most important spiritual work that you and I can do is to begin to uncover all these layers of identity that we place upon ourselves. Layers of our education, or achievement, or resources, or skill sets, or accomplishments, or titles, or you fill in the blank. In order to get down to this unadorned self that now and calls it. Because I believe that it is the unadorned self, the childlike self, that is truly able to begin to trust in God. But sometimes that means stepping away from a life of going and doing and producing and achieving. Sometimes that means taking Sabbath. It means stopping and letting go in order to let God truly take the lead. And so how much and to what extent do we really trust God? May we go today with the faith of my new friend Melba Zapata and New Wine Church, trusting in God and in God alone to provide all that we need. And so God, we come to you today, many of us weary, tired, maybe even completely overwhelmed. And we fool ourselves into believing that everything we do revolves around us and our abilities and is dependent on us. God, strip that away and remind us that we are wholly and completely dependent on you and you alone. Convict us of the ways in which we trust in the gift instead of the giver of all good gifts. Help us to have a childlike faith, a faith that is fully seeking and fully dependent and fully reliant upon you. God, we trust you enough to stop. We trust you enough to take a break. And we trust you to be the God who provides for all of our needs. And we ask this in your name. Amen. We have heard and sung and read and spoken all throughout today about God's abundant love. Even when you and I look around and see only scarcity. Ultimately, it was Jesus who showed us the magnitude of God's love when he came to earth to be with us. And his life, death, and resurrection all took place, as John's gospel says, so that we might not only have life, but have it abundantly. That is the life that we can experience through following Jesus. And if you would like to talk with one of our ministers about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. 
Or maybe today is the day you want to join our community of faith at Calvary, where we seek to follow God together in the best ways that we know how. We would love for you to experience the abundant life that God offers us in this place. So however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back, ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship. Pray with me, please. Holy Father, we thank you for these gifts that we are about to give to you, that you've made us capable of giving. Lord, I ask that you would take these things and that you would provide for this building, for our staff, for the ministry that we seek to do here. Lord, that our hands would go out and touch the community around us, that you would enable us to reach further and greater than we ever have before. We thank you for the gifts and the giver and the hearts that you have given us to impact the world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Rest. We're all one thing. 
these dead bones life shine on in give these dead bones life you're going today, I wanted to ask you to remember Claudette Hensley and her family in prayer. Claudette's mother, Robbie Riggs, passed away yesterday morning, and Robbie's been a, a longtime member of Calvary. They are meeting with the funeral home this morning, and there's likely to be a small graveside service on Tuesday, um, but let's keep Claudette and her family in prayer during this time. We will be providing a meal for them at their home on Tuesday. And if that's something that you would like to contribute to or help with, if you could let Phil Sitton know about that. Uh, as, as we have mentioned, this has been a full few weeks at Calvary, but it has also been a time that has made me so grateful for the Calvary family and for all that God is doing in and among us. Um, but I do truly want to ask all of us to take some time this week to rest to practice Sabbath, and to refuel ourselves for the important work that God is calling all of us toward. I'm mindful that we have several newcomers, visitors with us, and we are really glad you're here. We hope you'll stick around for a few minutes after worship, and I hope everyone will take a chance to look around you and to see who might be new around you so that we can welcome you here to Calvary. Well, please stand and join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you. 
so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. Thank you.